We put our energy towards adjusting the external circumstances of our lives. Things come together, they fall apart, they come back together, and so on. And we keep tinkering, but despite our best efforts, there always seems to be unfinished business. And then, someone comes along with a teaching of meditation or dharma, and we meet with a radically different approach to life. We stop trying to fix everything. We turn inwards and start to work with, or play with, perception. And then, everything begins to change. Brought to you by Meditate with Ranga, Playing with Perception invites you to open to the theater of experience and play. Welcome to the first episode of Playing with Perception. My name is Ranga, and I want this episode to serve as an introduction. So this show is going to involve different elements, including Dharma talks that I give on various topics. And I'll spend some time this episode to go over some of my favorite topics that we revisit. Things like jhana or deep meditative realms of experience that are very blissful. Uh, something called emptiness, which is the crown jewel of the Buddha's teaching, uh, as well as uh, things like soul making and other elements from my teacher Rob Berbea's uh, teaching. Um, so we'll draw from elements and sources of wisdom, including Buddhism from Theravada to Mahayana to Vajrayana, as well as Taoism, and really both secular and non-secular sources of wisdom. The show will also occasionally include interviews with other Dharma teachers. So we just wrapped up shooting interviews with a Zen uh, lay teacher named Liz Farmer, uh, as well as with a uh, Theravada monk named Bhante Rahula, who also uh, has this neat sort of integration of yoga uh, with Theravada Buddhism. And we have a few uh, shoots coming up with some amazing teachers as well. So this show is it's about Dharma, it's about meditation, and of course, it's about playing with perception. So let me take some time to explain what that means. And playing with perception is actually a phrase that my teacher Rob Berbea would use to describe meditation practice. So already, that should kind of, you know, bring some, some intrigue. It's like, hmm, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at meditation as a means to get some calm or to relieve some stress, some anxiety, of course, meditation practice can do that, but it's more than that. So getting the framework for what we're doing actually serves as a foundation that will, I think, radically change the whole practice of meditation and uh, make the ceiling of in terms of where our progress and practice can go much, much higher. So playing with perception, you know, my take on this is that our experience, our very perception of things, our perception of the world, our perception of ourself, of time, of social constructs, of our obligation, of other people, our perception of consequences. Basically, our experience 
in life is a matter of perception. And we, most of the time, we unknowingly participate in that perception. So one of the things that we can develop through meditation is sensitivity and an awareness of the elements that create our experience. So what do I mean by that? We are always wearing particular lenses. Or I would say we're always wearing lenses that impact the way we see things. There's always a way of looking that's happening in the heart, in the mind, that's affecting our very experience of all those things I mentioned, our experience of ourself, of the world, of time, etc. And when I say way of looking, that includes our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, our intentions, our intensity of intention. You know, how delicate or intense is that? Um, our effort, how much efforting is happening in the heart, how much clinging is there, meaning how much push or pull. Are we pushing something away from us? Are we trying to pull something towards us? And to what degree? All of these and more make up our ways of looking. So it's like there's an orientation of the heart. There's a positioning that's active, that's always happening, that is basically radically contributing to our, our view of things and our experience. So to give you an example of that, if I'm, you know, waiting online at the grocery store and, um, you know, I try to find the line that is the shortest and I'm, I can't pick between these two lines, but I go to the one that I think is the shortest, but then the other line starts to move faster, but I'm already committed to this line. So I stay there and then it moves ever so slowly. And then the next person goes. And let's say they're trying to use a bunch of coupons and they're having an issue with a particular coupon, right? And like all this is happening and my very sense of time is changing. Time appears to move slower, right? And we can contrast that with, let's say, you know, a moment that we're trying to really indulge in. And, um, you know, let's say it's, the moment that you proposed to your lover or that your lover proposed to you and like the beauty of that moment or your wedding day or your favorite team wins the Super Bowl or the NBA championship. It's like those moments, in those moments, time appears and feels different, very different than in the moment I previously described at the grocery store. So what's happening there? There's actually a way of looking that's impacting our experience of time. And this is just one example. So what I'm actually describing here is the emptiness of things. So as I mentioned, emptiness is, is a topic that I love to re revisit in my teachings, in my, in my Dharma talks, and certainly in my practice. Um, emptiness, or what's called sunyata in the ancient language of Pali which is the language uh, in which the 
Polycanon, the sort of uh, oldest recordings of the Buddha's teachings are, um, are kept in. Sunyata, emptiness. It means that all things are empty of an inherent existence. Nothing has a real reality or an objective reality to it. All things arise dependent on various factors. And the factor to really call out here is the mind. So what we're saying is that all things are dependent on the mind. And the reason this matters is, A, it's, it's a truth that we can discover for ourselves. It's not something we create. It's, it's a truth. But B, the more we see this truth to the extent that we see it, to that extent, we feel free. And in the Buddha's teachings, it is emptiness. <laughs> emptiness is that which is to be seen. And when we see emptiness, when we know it, we become a fully awakened being that's radically free from suffering, irreversibly free from suffering. It's like the magic trick is up and there's no more reason to suffer. So maybe I'll say a little bit more about this. Um, but first to go back to the way of looking approach, which I find to be one of the most sort of easily digestible and inviting approaches to this teaching on emptiness. Um, and it's given by Robert, Robert Bea, and I'm very, very grateful for it. So we talked about how, so, you know, things are empty of an essence, an, an essence, an inherent nature. So it's like how we're, how we're looking at them forms our very experience of them, right? And the teaching here is that all things, all phenomena, everything has this attribute of being empty. So most teachings, most religions, Actually, what I should say is most interpretations of religions, spiritual traditions, New Age, ancient, right, have this idea that there's a particular lens that unveils ultimate reality. So the one you've probably heard the most about is mindfulness. So there's this notion that if we are perfectly mindful, not in the past, not in the future, here in the moment, attending to things, as they arise, as they cease, that will unveil things as they are. Because the papancha, which is an ancient Pali word for proliferation or mental complexity, the mind creating this whole mass of thoughts and following them. So there's this idea that if we cut down the papancha, the mental proliferation, and we're mindful, that will unveil things as they are. But you can insert any lens. Right? Is there a lens that unveils ultimate reality? Now, what the Buddha actually taught is actually way more radical than that. What he taught and what he discovered is that all there are are ways of looking, all there are are lenses. So, ultimate reality then is that there is no basic reality, it's that all things are empty. So it's not that any particular lens shows truth. It's that the truth is, is that there is no ultimate truth, right? It's that all there are are these lenses. So to go a little bit more into this, there's something called the spectrum of the self, which again, Rob Berbea taught. 
And it's an idea that at one end of the spectrum, there's a really strong sense of self. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's no sense of self, right? So one example of the end where there's a strong sense of self is, you know, when you're in an argument with someone, let's say in an argument with your wife or husband, there's a strong sense of I'm right, they're wrong. So you really feel like you exist and they exist in a, in a very strong sort of uh, gross sort of way. Another example is if you have a dream and let's say everyone in the dream is looking at you and laughing at you and there's a sense of embarrassment. Again, there's a really strong sense of self. But when you wake up from that dream, the sense of self has been lowered. It's like, oh, that wasn't real. The suffering dissipates. There's a sense of freedom. So that's a little bit lower on the end on the spectrum. And let's say we, we go into deep states of meditation into what's called samadhi. Samadhi is a Pali word, S-A-M-A-D-H-I, that refers to a coming together, a unification, a harmonization of the mind, the body, our energies. So when we go into these deep, deeper states of samadhi, the sense of self is being fabricated less. So there's less sense of self, right? All the way to where the sense of self is, you know, is, is not there anymore. And oftentimes when people hear the Buddha's teachings from Theravada Buddhism and, you know, particularly in the Pali Canon, there's this uh, assumption that the Buddha is saying that there is no self because he taught about anatta, non-self. But really, again, what the Buddha said is far more radical. It's not that there's no self. It's not that no self is the ultimate reality. Is that it's that any part of the spectrum is dependent on a way of looking. So it's like the self in any degree arises through a particular way of looking. So from that perspective, it's not right to say there is a self or that there is no self or that there is neither a self or a self or that there is both a self and, a, and not a self. Any of these would be deemed as essentially papancha, as mental proliferation. So it's the deluded mind that lends a sense of substantiality, of seriousness to phenomena. And essentially what this is saying is that our suffering is fabricated and our suffering comes from a moment-to-moment delusion which is a lack of seeing emptiness. And our default view, which is so deeply entrenched, is that things do have an essence, that they do exist over there, that they exist by, on their own, on their own side. And so because we feel that, we feel that we exist over here, things exist over there, and all of this is wrapped up in time, what happens from that is there's clinging. We want to pull certain things towards us. We want to push certain things away. And that is where the suffering comes. And you can test this for yourself. It's like anytime you're feeling anxious or depressed or you're, you know, there's any degree of suffering, no matter how subtle, is it because of something that's external or is it 
due to the clinging. You know, let's say, for example, you've applied to a job and um, you're waiting to find out whether you got the job, right? Is the suffering, the anxiety that's there, is that because of the job or because of how much you want it? And let's say the mind is making it even more important. You know, maybe we're depending on the job for our visa or, you know, we've worked so hard. We've been working for decades. This job is the culmination of all the effort that I've put in. My very identity, my sense of self, my sense of self-importance is wrapped up in whether or not I get this job. You know, all of these sort of things that we're doing in the mind, it's, it's adding to the clinging, which causes suffering. Right, so this is just an example, and I invite you to look through your life and see if what the Buddha said is, is true here in, in terms of his, his teaching that suffering comes from clinging. So emptiness and seeing emptiness is that which destroys clinging. Because when we see things, that, see things as empty, as illusory, as fabricated by the mind, concocted and built up by the mind, then there's nothing really worth clinging to anymore. There's nothing to be fearful of. So playing with perception becomes this radical sort of art or dance or play in which we dial certain things up or down. We dial down the clinging. We dial up the efforting or we dial it down. We play with the intensity of intention. We play with our preferences. We play with certain insights or insight ways of looking, such as, for example, seeing all things as a dream, you know, or playing with the idea that there are no consequences or playing with the idea that we are abundantly blessed and taken care of and playing, you know, investing a certain or bringing up a certain idea of gratitude, beauty, love. So this view of meditation is much fuller. It has a richness to it. It has a magic, a mystical nature, something that is enchanting and enchants. And uh, that's why I wanted to name this show Playing with Perception. I think it's a phrase that is so full of meaning. So, and the last thing I'll say here is like, don't worry if you're not getting all of this. Um, emptiness is something that is very deep. Uh, as I said, it's a crown jewel of Buddhism. It, the, the word Buddha means awakened one. And what did he awaken to? Emptiness. So if we were to fully understand emptiness, we'd be a fully awakened, enlightened being. Um, so to the degree that we understand emptiness at all is really a very powerful thing. And this practice, this path of dharma, of meditation, involves going deeper into our understanding of emptiness. And actually, you know, elements of the path that are considered to be less deep or sort of like preliminary, they're all pointing to emptiness. Everything from sila, which is the Pali word for virtue or ethics, you know, metta or loving kindness, mindfulness practice, samadhi practice, all of it is actually pointing to this deep truth of emptiness, uh, which is also uh, basically very closely tied to the Buddha's teaching on dependent arising or dependent origination. So another, word, another way of saying that things are empty is to say that they're dependent. They depend on other empty phenomena. 
right? Like they, de they depend on the mind. If we say that things are not empty, what we're saying is that they exist independently from other phenomena, independently from the mind. They exist on their own side. So emptiness is, of course, one of the topics that will be wrapped up or will be discussed at length throughout my teachings, uh, both at Meditate with Ranga and on this show. Um, and it's something that I find very beautiful. It inspires wonder. And by the way, if it inspires a sense of meaninglessness or what's called nihilism, it's like, oh, if things are empty, then they're, they're valueless or meaningless. That's actually not at all uh, what the Buddha is saying. This is a common pitfall in, in, uh, you know, for people who, who receive this teaching. But it's more like saying because things are empty of any meaning or value in particular, they can basically they hold the possibility that's of anything. So because things are empty of any particular meaning, they have the possibility of any meaning. Right? Like we it's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We can look at someone and see them as a Buddha as a pure radiant being or as someone who's just incredibly beautiful or we can look at someone and see them as ugly or terrible or evil right so and again emptiness is not pointing so it's really not about pointing to the meaninglessness of things in fact uh, soul making um and uh, which is a teaching from robert bea sort of framework from robert bea as well as you know the vajrayana teachings in buddhism really talk about you know radically seeing things and in a way of 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 sacredness you know re-enchanting phenomena you know so like the theravada approach is more about when we see things as empty it leads to dispassion and a deep letting go of all things because they're empty the mayan approach involves uh invite you know it's seeing emptiness and then and then feeling the compassion that flows from that emptiness if we don't exist if the self itself is not um independently real does not exist on its own side then that basically destroys all of our blockages towards compassion and this is how bodhicitta arises this this sense of love for all beings as one would love oneself right and then the Vajrayana approach, it's sort of like emptiness, so magic. So it's like we can become magicians and re-enchant the world and see all things as sacred. Um, and of course, all of these different schools of Buddhism are much more than that brief description. But this is something that I find helpful that was offered uh, by a dear Dharma friend and teacher to me. So why don't we talk about a couple other of the sort of like main topics that will be integrated into the show um, over time. So I already mentioned samadhi. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So samadhi, again, is a Pali term uh, spelt S-A-M-A-D-H-I. It's also a word in Sanskrit. And if you look at what the word meant um, during the Buddha's time, it meant something like agreement, reconciliation, uh, coming together. Right, so it's really it's often translated as concentration. And concentration, if you think about like a concentrated juice or a concentrated powder that you add water in and then it becomes a juice, right? You can see that meaning of like something that's come together and unified. Uh, but 
when we take the term concentration to mean like gritting our teeth and really like tensing up and trying to focus, you know, one pointedly to something, you know, that I feel like is, is a, is a mistake and a very, uh, you know, a rather unhelpful way of viewing this word word because Samadhi is actually very open. Um, it, it's really, it's a broad territory of experience and Samadhi includes the eight jhanas. Jhana is spelled J-H-A-N-A, and um, jhanas in Buddhism refer to eight different realms of experience that are characterized by wellness, by bliss, delight, peacefulness, happiness, uh, you know, joy, and basically they're they're realms of less and less fabrication, um, where the mind is is fabricating less, concocting less, and this leads to these experiences that are immensely blissful and more and more refined, more and more subtle. So there are these eight sort of realms or territories within the broader territory of samadhi. And samadhi, man, I mean, it's just such a lovely experience that is available to human beings. You know, I feel that like it's our birthright. Uh, it's something that's actually very natural. If it wasn't natural, we'd have to do all these kind of things to get samadhi. But it's actually like when we do less, samadhi arises in the heart. The mind deepens. As one of my teachers says, the deeper mind or the higher mind is trying to speak to you, but you're too noisy. And samadhi, it, it, it serves as, a, a, it really brings us so much confidence on the path. You know, samadhi, I feel, is something that is relatively available to human beings. It just takes a bit of practice, a bit of dedication, you know, learning about dharma and meditation and putting it into practice. And then we, we come into touch with this amazing resource that's within us, that's not dependent on external stimuli. And we, it nourishes us. It makes us feel so good. And we get confidence, confidence in ourself, our ability as meditators, confidence in the path, confidence in the Buddha's teachings. Um, and samadhi, I, I feel, is, it's, it's not religious in the sense that um, it's just sort of like a natural conditional thing. So it's like if you put in the right conditions, samadhi arises. And I don't believe that subscribing to a particular religion is a prerequisite for samadhi. And I also believe that samadhi is something that's experienced and talked about in many religions in different ways. Um, so, so I'll mention that as well. Um, so samadhi and the jhanas, they, they have so many benefits. They make us more effective in every aspect of our lives. Uh, they, they improve, you know, samadhi improves our relationships. Samadhi sort of, it's, it's like a place where our problems go to get dissolved. So it's like you can spend your life solving problems or you can learn this practice of samadhi in which most of your problems will, will sort of dissolve into samadhi. And so you can imbue your daily life with a few minutes or an hour or multiple hours in which you're feeling well, like radically well, and you're coming into, into uh, your basic sanity as a human being. And you can really feel that as you experience samadhi more and more, like <laughs> you can feel the insanity of, you know, mundane, normal experience where the mind 
is so polarized and it's just bumping into things that make it feel like it doesn't have enough or that it needs to get rid of things and you know anxiety depression dullness restlessness worry the whole mass of suffering and the five hindrances some of which i just mentioned it you know all of that is like out there to be experienced but if we can learn to come to this deeper mind that we're all endowed with that we that we were born with this capacity if we if we feel that you know we we really start to sense that it's like oh i'm i'm starting to feel sane you know i'm i'm starting to to wake up a bit from the dream so samadhi and jhana you know these are two topics that i i i love to talk about Another area of practice um, that's present in my teachings and will will be talked about on this show is the idea of bhavana. This is another Pali word. It's spelled B-H-A-V-A-N-A, bhavana. And it means cultivation. So this is another term that can be used for meditation. Like the English word meditation to me doesn't really like mean much. It's typically translated as contemplation which is like so ambiguous, so broad. And you can hear, I mean, people, you, you might hear people saying that they're meditating and, and they mean something completely different than what maybe I would mean by that. Um, so I, I, you know, playing with perception is sort of my favorite term for meditation, but bhavana is another really important one that's sort of included in playing with perception in my mind. So bhavana or cultivation, what that means is we're actually building certain qualities and resources within the heart. Mindfulness is just one of those qualities. And we, ha- we live in this age where mindfulness is really popular and being talked about, which is fantastic. But it's also, I think, very important to know that mindfulness is just one of many qualities that are worth building in the mind, building in the heart. Um, so there's many more. So the Buddha talks about virya, which is a Pali term that means energy, persistence, effort. Um, he talks about determination, patience. Uh, what are called? He talks about the four Brahma viharas or divine abidings that includes metta or loving kindness, radical love and acceptance that's unconditional, a sense of safety, relaxed safety amidst all the uncertainty in the world. So, so that's one of the four Brahma Viharas. The others are Mudita, which means appreciative joy, inclining the mind towards beauty, gratitude. Uh, and then there's Karuna or compassion. And then there's Upeka or equanimity, evenness, stillness. Right? So, you know, as one of my teachers kind of related to me, it's like the mind is this garden. It's this plot of land, like a field. And we're, we're looking to weed out certain things weed out things like unskillful desires like feeling like we're not enough that we need more to be whole we're looking to weed that out we're looking to weed out aversion which includes hostility anger boredom judging criticizing finding fault with things blaming so we're so we're weeding certain things out and we're planting these other seeds like mindfulness and the other qualities i mentioned and many many more and these seeds are are to be developed so that they grow into trees and sprout flowers and 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 fruit right and we can build a very beautiful 
garden for us to dwell in. So maybe you can get a sense of what that might mean for you to actually deliberately, through time and effort, cultivate your heart. And that'll radically, you know, that'll just change your experience of everything because we experience the world through our hearts, through our minds, or in our minds, or by our minds, right? It's like the mind is involved and we participate in our sense of who we are in our life. So I hope that serves as a good introduction into some of the topics that we'll be discussing at Playing With Perception. Um, I also mentioned that there will be different segments, right? So we'll have pieces and episodes that are interviews between me and, and another Dharma teacher. We'll have segments um, that will include some of my group sessions. So at Meditate with Ranga, I have a bunch of services um, which include group sessions with several students. And sometimes we'll take some of the recordings from there and sort of add them to this show. Um, other times it'll be like this where I'm just talking, you know, directly to the camera for, for our viewers, uh, uh, you know, with time dedicated just to this show. And there'll be a whole host of other things. Um, we might include some footage some recordings from uh, the retreats that I teach, the meditation retreats. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I'm going to say I'm very open, very flexible, very flexible, and this is going to be a fluid experiment. So we'll see what comes. We'll see what comes from this. So with that, we'll bring this first episode to a close. Stay tuned. A couple of the episodes coming up include an interview with a Zen teacher who's a laywoman who was uh, just a very delightful person to speak with, as well as uh, we have a couple episodes uh, that were recorded actually a few months ago where I talk about my experience on a two-week silent meditation retreat uh, with some amazing Dharma teachers, including Willa Reed. Uh, formerly, who who went by the name of uh, Tanya uh, when she was a uh, a bhikkhuni, a ordained Buddhist nun in the Ajahn Chah tradition under Ajahn Sumedho. Don't worry about it if you're not familiar with those names. Uh, but hopefully that'll give you a flavor of what's coming up. Um, and thank you so much for listening. May you be well, happy, and at ease. To view more content like this, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Meditate with Runga, or look up Playing with Perception anywhere that you get podcasts. You can also go to meditatewithrunga.com. That's meditate with R-A-N-G-A.com to get access to my free resources.